0: All right, this is The Michael Slate Show, and I'm your host, Michael Slate. Now, today's show will be about the climate emergency and extreme weather. And I want to add what many have been saying, that saving the earth from destruction will not be done by governments and corporations. And I believe what many are not saying, that we need system change and actual revolution to overturn the system of capitalism and imperialism that is leading to this destruction. At the back end of the show, we'll hear an interview from a few years back from one of the world's most prominent climate scientists, Michael Mann. He'll talk about the extreme weather that was already beginning, focusing on hurricanes. Before that, we'll hear Bob Avakian, chairman of the Revolutionary Communist Party, on the destruction of the planet by capitalism and imperialism, why this system has no other way to operate. And opening the show up, we'll hear from Donald Webbels, the Harry E. Preble professor in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He has contributed to and been an editor of Reports of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So here's Dr. Webbels.
1: I've seen fire and I've seen rain I've seen sunny days that I thought
0: would never end Seen lonely
1: times when I could not find a friend, but I always thought that I'd see you again.
0: Our next guest is Donald Webbles. He is the Harry E. Preble Professor in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He was the founding director of the University of Illinois School of Earth, Society, and Environment from 2006 to 2008. And he has contributed to and been an editor of Reports of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So, Don, welcome to the show.
2: Sure. Good to meet you, Michael.
0: Yeah, you too, man. We began preparing to interview you a couple weeks ago, and a couple weeks ago is when the world was watching deadly floods in Germany, Nigeria, and Bangladesh, a killer heat wave in the northwest of the U.S. and the southwest of Canada- and a catastrophic series of wildfires in the American West, some of which are still burning. In those two weeks, things have gotten worse. The New York Times now has an extreme weather update that they run on the front page because there are almost daily events. For a few days, the news media is talking about another huge emergency. The disruption of the Atlantic current, predicted and modeled for years, looks like it's beginning to happen. And now... And now there's a new IPCC report, Climate Change Widespread, Rapid, and Intensifying. It begins, scientists are observing changes in the Earth's climate in every region and across the whole climate system. Many of the changes observed in the climate are unprecedented in thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. And some of the changes already set in motion, such as continued sea level rise, are irreversible over hundreds to thousands of years. However, strong and sustained reductions in emissions of carbon dioxide, CO2, and other greenhouse gases would limit climate change. All this makes what we are going to talk about even more urgent. I've got a bunch of questions here I've been preparing and revising, but first, what are your thoughts of this new IPCC report?
2: Sure. uh, In fact, I was just asked if I could... uh in a few sentences to various <laughs> newspapers around the country about with that same question and so you know as a scientist who studies the earth's climate i'm well aware of the changes that have been going on but until you see something like this new assessment that pulls it all together into one place you don't really realize just how Significant changes really happening on our planet, particularly with the, you know the more ex- intense extreme weather events that we that we have, and so I, I've even taken to calling those unnatural disasters because they're really being driven by climate change, and that's one of the big things about this IPCC assessment. It's really for the first time it really pulls together our knowledge that we are analyzing almost every single severe disaster event as it happens in terms of what role is the changing climate playing in that event and finding that it's, that those events largely would not have happened if we hadn't had a changing climate you know it's, it's really straightforward for a, an atmospheric scientist a meteorologist like myself to, to show that extreme events of a you know, particular extreme event like the extreme heat in the northwest occur because of a certain type of weather pattern but then if you can dig deeper and go down below that and really see you know what led to that particular weather pattern being the way it was you find that the changes in climate are behind it what we'd like to say is that basically all weather is being influenced by the changing climate but you particularly see that in these extreme events because they're coming more intense and more difficult for humans and life on our planet to deal with. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I have a lot of questions that I'm going to ask you in, a, in, a, in just a few minutes, but a big question for me right now then is, listening to what you're saying then, what the hell do we do?
2: Well, I think there's a lot we can do. It is imperative that we try to keep these temperature changes as low as possible. So the goal of the Paris Agreement uh, with to uh, see if we could aim at one point five degrees centigrade, and that is going to be very difficult to do and uh, but nonetheless uh, you know we 're already over we're almost essentially at one point one or one point two degrees centigrade now, and so can we hold it to one point five it 's going to be difficult uh, but if humanity really aims itself at solving this, I truly believe that we can. And uh, uh, but we just have to decide that we're going to put the effort in to do that. What it's going to take is uh, to reduce the emissions that uh, produce this problem, which is you know, the changes are being driven by the increasing amounts of carbon dioxide and methane and some other gases and various particles in the atmosphere that are driving you know, are leading to these changes. And so we need to slow down those emissions dramatically in order to really uh, not cause further large changes in climate in the future. These are very long-lived gases, particularly carbon dioxide. And so, so we have to work hard to reduce uh, its emissions. And that means uh, uh, doing something about our, our our use of fossil fuels and how we release emissions from those use of fossil fuels into the atmosphere. So whether it be from coal or natural gas or, or, uh, or oil and gasoline. Hmm. So we got to figure that out. Lots of new technology is developing that can allow us to get there, but we, I think we need to really push it ahead strongly if we're going to really make this happen.
0: Well, tell me something. Just, uh, I'm going to move on in a, little, in a little bit, but I wanted to ask you this. When you're talking about if we can keep pushing, if we can push it ahead, if we can actually do this, how do you see that happening? I mean, I'm asking you well, that I because think, it's, it's. Yeah, I it's... think we
2: got to be Go determined to do it as a planet. You know, we can't just say each nation does do its own thing, and some agree to do something and others don't. We we really need to decide this affects all of us, and we have to do something together. You know, we did that once before. You know, I was a leader in the studies of stratospheric ozone, and the Montreal Protocol was developed, that uh, which was an agreement from of all the countries in the world. Uh, and the reason it's called the Montreal Protocol is because it, it first happened at a meeting in Montreal, Montreal, Canada. And um, we uh, we were able to uh, eventually essentially stop the emissions that were caused driving those changes. Now, climate change is no question. It's much more difficult because we're talking about our energy and transportation systems needing to be transformed. But with the technology in hand, You know, we are certainly capable of doing that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, there's the question of technology versus the willingness of those who run the society to do something about it. So let me let me ask you this. You know, there's a lot of questions I have now, so I want to move on a little bit. But um, when we do get rainfall, okay, it's more likely to be bigger rainfall. And when we get drought, it's more likely to be a bigger drought. That's what you said at one point. Right. Yeah,
2: basically, we we tend to say the wet are getting wetter and the drier getting drier, but also that when you do get precipitation, whether it be rainfall or or snowfall, it's more likely to be larger than it was in the past. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, as somebody who lives in California, I can see this happening. Last year seemed like a fairly normal year with slightly above average rainfall, though people may not have noticed it during the uh, pandemic. Then, wham, suddenly deep drought isn't, is back. And temperatures in June were in the 90s. So why is it? Why are the extremes in, in weather becoming so much more extreme?
2: So the question for Southern California or for, for California and for Arizona and, and some of the other Southwest states is that the changes in climate are tending to change what it used to be called the horse latitude. So it's changing the, the circulation pattern in the atmosphere such that where there tends to be less precipitation, put more and more into that region of the of the world. And so, uh, you know, so it, go, it kind of goes along with this idea of the drier getting drier. So that so it really has to do with those circulation patterns in the atmosphere. And that, that has a big impact.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so I'm thinking of two extreme events. One is the heat dome that parked over the Northwest. Extreme heat that killed dozens, led to fires that completely wiped out the uh, a village in Canada, killed probably a billion uh, marine animals, and started fires that are still burning. A catastrophe. The other is the flooding in Europe, mainly Germany, which happened with, uh, when a rainstorm remained stationary over a large area. Depositing more water than any area could ever do could handle, and both of these uh, events seem to share the same phenomenon. That is, weather systems that persist and therefore cause abnormal amounts of destruction, which is a really dangerous position, a really dangerous thing to be don't that that to be happening there.
2: No, that's exactly right, and what, it's one of those things that we're still trying to uh, better understand um, the our, our atmospheric models, the models of the Earth's Climate system that the atmosphere, the oceans, the land, um, the biosphere, all treated in them, don't produce as strong a standing highs and lows as we seem to see in, uh, the, in the current atmosphere. And so we're trying to understand what it is we're missing in those models. But this does seem to be one of the phenomena that goes with the changes in climate that. We do get more of those standing kind of events where the weather system just moves extremely slowly. It just sits over a place. We saw it uh, some degree with uh, some of the hurricanes in, in recent years where they just come in like the one hit Houston and just sit there and sit there for days. And then that result is huge impacts on, on the region. And those kind of events are particularly devastating, as we just saw in, in the northwest and in Germany.
0: All right, so we're talking about global temperature now. We're talking about global temperature rises of a few degrees, a few degrees Celsius. When you say the temperature is going to rise three degrees, it doesn't sound like that much, but that is not spread out uniformly, not in time nor in geography, and it is not just a, a couple of degrees warmer every day than it is in the same No the no. same everywhere. It's not the same. So let's talk about that. Two questions come out of that. What causes this unevenness? We'll do that one first.
2: Yeah. So um, so first of all, when we talked about a change of a few degrees and why it matters, we're talking about a change that's averaged over the entire planet. And most of those, uh, the most significant changes are occurring over land. Uh, and it's all set up by weather patterns. So weather patterns determine the day-to-day. And we all know, you know, a typical weather pattern, you know, such as we have here in Illinois You know, overnight, you know, you can see 10 to 20 or 30 degree changes Fahrenheit. But we're talking about looking at a 24-hour average, looking at then the changes over all land, all ocean of the world, and saying that what that looks like over a year time period. So if you want a comparison of that with, uh, you know, what's happened in the past, uh, the last uh, ice age, where you know I'm, I'm sitting here in Central Illinois, where the last ice age there was a you know, thousand plus feet of uh, ice over where I'm sitting during that time period, and that was about 11 degrees Fahrenheit colder than now. So when we talk about a few degrees, uh, that, can, that can make a pretty dramatic difference in what our climate is like. You know, you even know, for example, if you if you live in uh, Wisconsin and you move to Dallas, uh, you know you person knows that the climate is very, very different, You know, even averaged over a year. But now I average that over the entire planet. And so if we're talking about you know, Dallas increasing by a certain amount, actually we get even larger changes in the entire northern latitudes. So, so Wisconsin will be seeing even larger changes.
0: You're listening to The Michael Slate Show, and we're talking with our guest today, Donald Wobbles. He is the Harry E. Preble professor in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Yeah, I have one more thing I wanted to ask you about that one there, which is what's the impact of the unevenness, especially regarding catastrophic weather phenomena? That's something that people, you know, people really really need to understand that and, and to see why it's happening, what's happening. Can you talk about that a little?
2: Yeah, because of those, those gases in the atmosphere, those greenhouse gases, carbon dioxide, et cetera, I mentioned before, they're absorbing uh, radiation that uh, would have uh, otherwise have gone out to space. And so what it's doing is putting more overall energy into the Earth's climate system. So that means that there's more energy available to set up kind of unusual situations, to set up weather patterns that can that have more energy in them. So that's part of the reason, and, and also a warmer atmosphere holds more water vapor, so you can can uh, get more um, water in the atmosphere that can precipitate. So that tends to set up situations where you can have more large, intense, severe weather, whether it's something like a heat wave or a drought or a flood or many other types of different extreme weather events. So uh so that's what happened. It's really all because of that extra energy in the Earth in system that'll, that is driving this.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, in your recent article, The New Paradigm, Unnatural Disasters in Changing Climate, you focused on uh, wildfires, which, of course, we experience here in the West Coast all the time. There are many yes. different ways in which climate change exacerbates wildfire risk and wildfire intensity. Let's talk about that.
2: Certainly. Uh, so no, we know wildfires are a natural natural phenomena, and we've seen them, you know, long before we saw the changes in climate. But what's happening now is uh, that if you do get a wildfire, the situation is ripe for larger events. The the atmosphere is warmer, the trees, the the plants are drier. They're getting less precipitation than in the past. So we've got the droughts going on, and more problems with insects and diseases that are helping create the trees and plants be even you know more fuel for for a wildfire, and so you're, you're right for those situations. But it's not just happening in northern Cal or northern and southern California either. It's happening uh, throughout much of our western United States. It's happening in Greece right now. There's major wildfires going on in Greece during. Uh, our winter months, Australia tends to have extremely large wildfires. So every, any place that tends to be drier, warmer, and is, and all of those being intensified with the changes in climate are tending to see larger, more intense wildfires than they've had in the past.
0: Uh-huh. Now, let me ask you this. When we're talking about this, you know, I was thinking about this next thing, and this is probably about the last thing we're going to talk about, but by 1990, barely 30 years ago, it had become clear that the predicted impact of increased CO2 in the atmosphere was inexorably raised global temperatures. Now, we know from research into ancient Earth climates how different the, the, uh, the Earth has been in the past with such high levels of carbon in the atmosphere. Yet, in that 30 years, with that knowledge, the amount of CO2 that has been pumped into the atmosphere by the actions of humans and really by the actions of and inactions of big corporations and governments has doubled it's doubled, and the normal response to, of the system to an existential threat to life on the planet has been to make it twice as bad. Am I overstating that? What's the level of, of action? Well, really I wish
2: you were done? overstating it, but no, you're not. And unfortunately, we have seen a, a tremendous increase in the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. The current concentrations are something like 415 or so parts per million. sounds like a very small amount, but these gases absorb radiation that as i said radiation would otherwise go to space and so they play a very important role in our system naturally and now we increase the amount it's what's called the greenhouse effect but you can kind of think about it as being like a blanket on the earth's surface and now we're increasing the amount of carbon dioxide increasing the amount of methane and some other gases and it's like putting another blanket on the earth and so the earth has to warm and essentially that's what's going on and we're seeing this uh, very significant increase in the uh, in the amount of uh, carbon dioxide and methane. Methane concentrations have more than doubled in in the Earth's atmosphere. The largest significant, most significant gas in terms of its changing concentration is carbon dioxide, but methane is also very important, and it's been increasing very very rapidly.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, this is the the last question I'll be asking you, but I I do have to <laughs> I do have to ask this because. It's sort of when you're looking at this, when you're looking at what's happening, and you're thinking about, you know, okay, all of this stuff that you've been talking about, and yet, year after year, it just keeps getting worse, you know, in a in a, in a certain sense. And the, the idea, I mean, you know, you look at it uh, throughout the world, the idea that the care that needs to be actually practiced in the in terms of actually saving the lives of the, of the planet and of the people that inhabit it, and all the other, you know, creatures that inhabit it. You know, you have a choice there. And it and it really, a lot of people don't even understand that because it's so hidden from us that, you know, people don't know. Like, for instance, you can come up and talk about this very well. And I think it's really important. And I'm really eager to get this out, when, what we're talking about now. But, you know, this whole, again, this thing of the level of action really matching the danger we face, it's a question that people are, are left in a lot of ways. They're left swamped they don't even really know what's happening and so what would you say to people in terms of what they should be doing i mean not and i'm not asking you to say you know i i'm god or something but you have a definite idea of what's happening here and what really needs to be done and if people know what really needs to be done then i think i think that people will actually stand up a good number of people will begin to stand up and say we're not going to allow this to go on
2: well it's it's you know basically you know we have four choices Our choices are to mitigate, to reduce those emissions of those gases and particles I mentioned. We can adapt and try to be resilient, or or we can try to use geoengineering, and I I tend to avoid that one because you start fooling with Mother Nature, you're likely going to get burned. You know, trying to put things in the atmosphere, for example, that might cool the Earth is, uh, is a very dangerous thing to do because of the potential consequences that you haven't thought about. And the fourth one is suffer. And right now, you know, we've been doing a little mitigation, a little adaptation, and some suffering. And, uh, you know, so if we're going to avoid future suffering, what we really have to do is do a lot of mitigation. We want to avoid the worst of the possible changes in the future. Uh, At the same time, we also know there will be more climate change. So we are going to have to adapt and be more resilient to what is going on. And we can do that. You know, we can develop, you know, systems, uh, engineering systems and and other ways of dealing with the fact that this is going to be a warmer world with higher sea levels and so forth. But we need to do those things in sufficient quantity to minimize the amount of future suffering.
0: You know, that's one of the things, though, that really attracted me to what, what you're saying, because you actually take it seriously on that level. And I think, you know, the need for this to get out to people, you know, far and wide that, look... It's not, we don't have to sit here and just like roll along and take the punches. It's actually, whatever's been going on, you know, needs to stop. And the, the idea of just allowing the kind of, let's roll through, you know, we get, we get better gas, we get better this, we get better that. And no, not enough people actually e- even understand that we could, you know, stand up and stop this in, in some way. And, it's, and it's, not, it's not like it's going to be just like raising your hand and saying, hey, you, stop. There's actually a need for people to understand and to spread an understanding of what's going on, and then actually mobilize people to you know, get in the streets, do whatever to to stop this stuff because if not, it's not unusual so if you look at like the course of things that went wrong in this it just on this planet alone in terms of the whole disappearance of peoples and and all this other stuff. But then you can also figure out we are we are one little spot in a whole galaxy and a whole whatever. And there's a lot of, there's probably a lot of places that actually have gone down by the lack of being able to do something about it, you know, and whether or not, not even with people being there, but actually yeah. we have the possibility well, I, of doing it. So, go ahead. Yeah.
2: So, you know, there's no question we're going to have to work hard to deal with this problem. And It is a very, it, you know, some, some scientists have called it the most important issue humanity has ever faced. And, uh, and it very well may be. We can deal with it. We're going to have to work hard to do that. But I think it's also important that we maintain this sense of hope, not get depressed about it and just give up. And so, um, you know, what we need to figure out is how we can pull together and actually deal with this effectively. And I try to spend a lot of my time trying to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, if people want to uh, see some of the stuff that you've been working on or send something to you, <laughs> a letter, <laughs> is there a way that they can get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, I I get a lot every day, including some attacks by people who don't want to accept that this is real. But through the University of Illinois, uh, my email is readily available, wibbles at illinois.edu, and uh, I'm always happy to interact with people and try to help show them what I understand about the science Mm -hmm. and what is understood. I recently led a special assessment of the impacts of climate change on the state of Illinois, Mm -hmm. and I'm currently working with... uh, People here in the state legislature, and how we can actually make use of that for the state. I'm also working on trying to better understand the Great Lakes and how they will be uh, impacted, and what that means to uh, the people, both in the U.S. and Canada, that, are, that you know, find, find that such an important resource. So there's a lot of things I'm involved in, and then I'm also look, you know trying to look at various policy actions as well as my science. I've tried, I spend a lot, most of my time on science, but I I do try to. I do think it's important for scientists to get involved in how we translate science to, uh, to policy. And so I'm, I try to uh, help with that as well.
0: Yeah, and I think we just, we also got to help people see that, that it's not bad to get mad about what's, when you're, when these forces are destroying the earth. <laughs> you know? It's not bad. <laughs> you got to, you got to, you got to have some anger in there about this is not acceptable, you know? And uh, I think too much people, you know, we've we've grown we've grown in a way to just be you know sit back and. You know, some people rise up and demonstrate, some people won't. But we need people to actually stand up and say, no, we are not going to allow you to destroy the planet. And I think what you do is actually helping people a lot to understand how important
2: that is. I hope so. I try to do my little bit. <laughs> I, I maybe don't do enough, but I try.
0: Well, you know, now that, we've tu- now that we've touched base with you, we're going to be calling you every time you open your mouth, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks That's a lot, man. All right. Take care now. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Michael. Bye. Yeah, you too. Bye. All right, we've been talking with Donald Webbels, and he is the Harry E. Preble Professor in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He was the founding director of the University of Illinois School of Earth Society and Environment from 2006 to 2008, and he has contributed to and been an editor of Reports of the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. (laughs)
3: Once more lay down.
0: let's hear Bob Avakian, the architect of a new framework for human emancipation, the new communism. This is The Destruction of the Planet by Capitalism-Imperialism from the talk Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution.
1: The Destruction of the Planet by Capitalism-Imperialism. The very fact that global warming is one of the major reasons why there are today a greater number of ref- refugees, 65 million than at any time since World War II is one powerful indicator of the severity of the climate crisis, which is increasing in intensity at an accelerating rate. The scientific evidence is overwhelming. The climate crisis poses a very real and growing threat to human civilization, and human activity in particular the production and use of oil and other fossil fuels, is a major cause of this intensifying crisis. The accelerated melting of the ice sheets in Antarctica, the destruction of vast expanses of rainforests, the despoiling of other key parts of the earth, including the oceans, with the terrible consequences for plant and animal species, Which are also vital for human existence, all this can only continue and even further accelerate with human society under the domination of the capitalist imperialist system. Despite conferences and agreements which claim to be addressing this crisis, but which are dominated by the countries that are the biggest contributors to this crisis, despite talk and even some steps to develop sources of energy as alternatives to fossil fuels. Despite all this, the very nature of the capitalist imperialist system dictates that competing capitalists controlling billions of dollars of investments and the governments of the major world powers in particular are compelled to contend with each other for markets, cheap labor and raw materials, including fossil fuels, and for control of strategic parts of the world. This leads not only to economic and political conflicts, but repeatedly to wars, which themselves have a devastating effect on the environment. And it is worth noting that the US military is the single largest institutional consumer of oil in the world. To make matters even worse, This system has now brought forth a fascist regime to power in the U.S., which is determined to shatter agreements and roll back regulations that offer even minor, if completely insufficient, protections for the environment, and to unleash forces whose effect on the environment, if persisted in, could actually lead to the destruction of human civilization. Obviously, we have only one Earth as a home for humanity. And this climate crisis can only be fundamentally and ultimately addressed on a world scale. But a first great step or leap can be taken by wresting power from the capitalist imperialist system in its most powerful stronghold and making this a source of inspiration and base of support for people around the world in rising up to overthrow and abolish all systems and relations of exploitation, oppression, plunder and destruction of the environment and of human beings who can only continue to exist and to thrive through a rational and planned interaction with the rest of nature. From all this, it stands out very sharply that we live in a grossly lopsided world, a world where a few dozen billionaires have as much wealth as the poorer half of humanity. And a small number of ruling classes in a small number of countries dominate, oppress, and control the destiny of the masses of humanity with consequences that are already terrible and could, before long, become catastrophic. And in everything that I've been shining a light on regarding the world we live in under the domination of capitalism imperialism, we are seeing the consequences of a system based on the private appropriation by competing centers of capital of wealth that is socially produced through networks of production involving vast numbers, ultimately billions of people all over the globe who are forced now to work in, in, in conditions and relations of production that exploit and dehumanize them. It is not simply greed that drives these capitalists to constantly seek ways to more ruthlessly exploit people. It is the fact that if they do not do this, or if some other capitalists do it more successfully, that is, even more ruthlessly, then they will face the prospect of not just falling behind, but actually going under, eaten up by other capitalist sharks. It is the private appropriation of socially produced wealth and the anarchy, the feverish competition and contention that results from this, which ultimately underlies and drives all the horrors that are concentrated in the five stops and the conditions to which the masses of humanity are continually subjected. The solution is to replace this system of private appropriation with a system where the socially produced wealth is also socially appropriated by a government actually representing the masses of people instead of a class of capitalist exploiters. And this wealth is then utilized on the basis of conscious planning in the interests and for the benefit of the people of society and ultimately the whole world. How this can be done is spelled out in the Constitution for the New Socialist Republic in North America. This is the fundamental difference between the society and world we have, with the system of capitalism and imperialism that we are forced to live under, and the world we could have. The bridge between these two worlds is revolution, a real revolution. Let's be honest. This is a difficult road. But there is no other way to finally put an end to the horrors that are continually brought forth by this system. And as hard as this is, it is possible, if we go about it the right way, with the right outlook and approach, the right goals and methods, the right strategy and plan. So this is what I'm going to dig into. Through the course of this talk.
0: All right, that was Bob Avakian talking about the destruction of the planet by capitalism and imperialism from the talk Why We Need an Actual Revolution and How We Can Really Make Revolution. We're going to take a quick musical break and be right back, so stay tuned. Now let's hear Michael Mann. Michael is a professor of atmospheric science and director of the Earth Systems Science Center at Penn State University. He co-authored with the uh, Washington Post cartoonist Tom Tolles, The Madhouse Effect, How Climate Change Denial is Threatening Our Planet, Destroying Our Politics, and Driving Us Crazy. Mike, welcome back to the show.
3: Uh, Thanks, Michael. Good to be with you.
0: Yeah, it's always good to talk with you, man. Let's start off with the big question. Where do things stand now? How bad is it?
3: Well, I mean, as I often said recently, the impacts of climate change are no longer subtle. We are seeing them play out in real time. Here on the East Coast, of course, we have seen two unprecedented storms, Harvey, which was the most flood-producing hurricane on record here in the United States, and of course Irma, which devastated the Caribbean islands, Key West, Florida, led to massive flooding along the Florida coast. It was the strongest storm, uh, as measured by peak wind speeds, ever in the open Atlantic. So let's take stock. Over the last two years or so, when global sea surface temperatures have been at an all-time high, the warmest on record... We have seen the strongest hurricane globally, Patricia in the Pacific a couple of years ago. We have seen the strongest hurricane in both the Northern and Southern Hemisphere. Um, in the Southern Hemisphere, we had Winston, which struck Fiji, the strongest hurricane ever observed in the Southern Hemisphere. Strongest hurricane ever in the Pacific, and now with Irma, the strongest hurricane ever in the open Atlantic. Long ago, we said that as we continue to warm surface temperatures, This is one of the easiest things to predict because it's basically just the laws of thermodynamics. And they tell us that as you warm the ocean surface, you're going to get stronger storms, stronger hurricanes. The strongest hurricanes will get stronger. And you will see uh, more flooding because there's more moisture in the air when the air is warmer. And, And we saw that. That was part of what contributed to the record flooding in Harvey. So we long predicted that this would be the case, and now we're seeing it and as we here on the east coast are dealing with these devastating storms and there's another one brewing as your listeners may know uh, maria who is now about to strike several of the leeward islands the same islands um, that suffered through irma are now going to get a hit again by a hurricane that is intensifying very quickly and the warmer those ocean temperatures the faster these storms intensify and we're seeing it once again while all of this is happening here in the east Of course, you folks out West have been suffering through record heat and a record wildfire season. Let me say it again, the impacts of climate change are no longer subtle. We're now seeing them. They are making extreme events even more extreme. And whether we're talking about hurricanes or droughts or floods or wildfires, we're now seeing this stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, you once said that climate change has literally changed the fabric within which all weather now occurs. Yeah, Let's talk about that.
3: Yeah. The atmosphere on average, the surface of the Earth, the lower atmosphere, is more than a degree Fahrenheit warmer than it was a century ago. In fact, uh, roughly a degree Celsius, almost a degree and a half Fahrenheit warmer uh, than it was. And that means, again, basic thermodynamics tells us that that means there's probably... Somewhere between 5, 6, 7% more moisture in the atmosphere. And that means that there is more moisture available to be turned into record precipitation, whether it's rainfall, flooding rains in these hurricanes, and the many thousand year rainfall events we've seen around the country over the last couple of years, events that shouldn't happen on their own, you know, due to chance alone, more often than once in a thousand years, and we're seeing lots of these events because we're literally loading the dice, the random dice of weather, towards more of these events. It's very basic physics. It's basic thermodynamics. that tells us that a warmer atmosphere has more moisture. That means you get more floods, and there's more energy in the atmosphere to intensify tropical storms or to give us these record nor'easters we've seen on the East Coast. Counterintuitively, it's seemingly paradoxical, but it's not is the fact that warmer winters, where it's still cold enough to snow, and on the east coast of the U.S., in Washington, D.C., through New England, it's still going to be cold enough to snow in the winter. And because the winters are warmer... That means there's actually more moisture in the atmosphere. That moisture can feed these massive storms known as nor'easters that form along the northeast coast and themselves have very damaging winds associated with them, but they produce record amounts of snowfall. And so, yes, record snowfalls doesn't disprove climate change. Uh, It's actually consistent with what we expect. We expect a shorter season where the ground is covered with snow but individual snowfall events we expect them to become more intense and these nor'easters like these hurricanes we expect them to become more intense because there's more warmth there's more moisture in the atmosphere and that moisture is what provides the energy to intensify those storms.
0: So is that the whole story about why these storms today seem to grow much bigger and much stronger than people have ever seen?
3: Yeah actually not rocket science. More warmer temperatures, more moisture in the atmosphere means more fuel for strengthening these storms. And we're seeing it. In fact, we have uh, estimated, there was a, an article that appeared in Nature a few years ago that estimated from observations, this isn't theoretical, this is actually from the observations, we can see an increase in about 10 miles per hour in the peak wind speeds of the strongest hurricanes with each degree Fahrenheit of warming that amounts to roughly a 7% increase in wind speeds. That might not sound so bad, but guess what? The destructive potential of a hurricane is proportional to the third power of the wind. So that 7% increase in wind speeds means a roughly 20% increase in uh, destructive potential. That's not subtle. Um, That sort of increase... You can see it happening, and we are seeing it happening. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, you've also said that almost all of the strongest hurricanes on record have occurred over the past two years. What is it about the past two years that actually seems to have concentrated a lot of this?
3: We've seen record global temperatures for the past few years. There was a period of time during which the contrarians, the climate change deniers, made a lot of hay out of this supposed hiatus or pause. There wasn't a pause in global warming, but we had a sustained period of La Niña, El Niños and La Niñas. These are natural climate events that impact weather around the world. El Niño year um, tends to be warmer than average. A La Niña year tends to be colder than average, and we had a number of uh, La Niña years in a row. We sort of had a decade-long period where we were in La Niña conditions much of the time, and that actually combined with some small natural factors of volcanic activity, small variations in the output of the sun, all these natural factors sort of conspired to offset some of global warming over uh, the period of, you know, the better part of a decade. But those natural factors swing one direction at one time, and then they swing in the other direction at the other time. And they're temporary. It was a temporary reprieve from the ongoing... Warming of the climate, and now that those natural factors have subsided, we're now seeing that we're still, as we always were, very much on this course of a rate of warming right now that is about two degrees Celsius. So that's, you know, more than three degrees Fahrenheit warming per century. That is the trajectory that we are on right now.
0: Mm. Let me remind listeners that you're tuned into The Michael Slate Show, and we're talking today with Dr. Michael Mann. Michael's a professor of atmospheric science and the director of the Earth System Science Center at Penn State University. And we're talking about what the hell is going on in relation to the climate, in relation to climate change, in relation to all the. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. All the just devastating things that have been happening in relation to the climate all over the world. Now, Michael, tell me this. I was trying to figure this out, like, actually, how do we look at, well, let's look at the sea level rise, because that's not something that I mean. I remember when I was a kid, you know, we'd go down to the Atlantic coast or somewhere, and we'd yeah, know, and you you know, it was fun. Sometimes there'd be a storm, there'd be like you know, the water would be really much deeper towards the shore and all this stuff. But it was just, it was there and it was happening. It's very different today when you're talking about sea level rise and how that yeah. contributes to actually how it's threatening human society, and the planet, frankly.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And again, and that's what another one of those factors where people can debate. The details of the various processes involved in the intensification of these tropical storms and in which of those processes might have been impacted by climate change but here's something that we can't debate the fact that uh, global sea level has risen you know, more than half a foot over the past century in some areas, like New York City, it's close to a foot. We've seen the, the veritable tip of the iceberg. We've, we're starting to see global sea levels bend upward, and we know there's a lot more to come as we start to melt the major ice sheets, which are going to be the major contributors to ongoing sea level rise. So regardless of what else might have been impacted by climate change, Sandy, Superstorm Sandy, One foot of that 13-foot storm surge was due to global sea level rise. That added a foot to the size of that storm surge that struck Battery Park, New York, that struck the Jersey coastline. I grew up going to the Jersey coast with my uh, grandparents. And that, what might sound like a small amount of sea level rise, one foot, actually meant 25 more square miles of coastal flooding and billions of dollars of additional damage that was done. And that's just one foot. Now, if we continue on the course that we're on, the science is now fairly clear about this. By the end of this century, we're probably talking about six feet, six feet of global sea level rise, at least. If we continue with, again, business as usual, we don't abate uh, ongoing burning of fossil fuels, then, you know, you you can see what one foot has already done. Uh, We're seeing the inundation of uh, low-lying island nations. Bangladesh has suffered through record flooding. It's uh, impacted both by sea level rise and potentially more rainfall that now comes with the monsoons because that atmosphere is warmer and holds more moisture. And, of course, with Sandy, with Harvey, now the Gulf Coast, um, sea level rise in in that region, climate change-related sea level rise has been a little less. It's been about a half a foot. But that means that there was... Storm surge associated with Harvey was at least a half a foot higher than it otherwise would have been, and that led once again to a lot more flooding. Now, if we truly stay on the course we're on and we have you know six feet plus of sea level rise by the end of the century, then we're starting to talk about literally retreating from uh, the major coastal cities of the world. It would be a massive unheaval. you can imagine. The conflict that would come as we have to locate 25, you know, percent of the world's population over a timescale of just decades. So, yeah, in a worst case scenario, we're talking about uh, calamitous changes, calamitous impacts. Uh, the good news is that we still have time to choose a different path. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell me this, we're going back on this a little bit, the fact that we've been talking about the storms today are growing, have grown much bigger and much stronger. At the same time, you know, when you're talking about all this, you've made the point that global warming, and I like this phrase, global warming is juicing storms, and the effect of global warming yeah. has on extreme events. It makes Irma and Harvey even more dangerous and more likely than it would have ever been in other times.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You know, warmer temperatures means more energy to strengthen these storms warmer temperatures in the summer, when you don't have rainfall in, uh, you know, in regions, in subtropical regions, and mid-latitude regions that see relatively little rainfall, and where you tend to have sinking dry air in the summer, well, those warmer temperatures evaporate what moisture you do have in the soil even faster, and you get worsened drought, and California suffered through what we have reason to believe now is their worst drought in at least 1,200 years. Uh, tree ring specialists have extended the record back in time. They can only go back 1,200 years, but they say that th- that drought was the worst in 1,200 years. So it's making the droughts worse. And you have more heat extremes, more drought, drier soils. That comes together, and you get the sort of record wildfires that we're seeing this season. This is the worst fire season out west on record. It's not a mystery why. It's getting drier and it's getting hotter. And the forests are weakened, ironically, by pests like pine bark beetles that can live through the increasingly warm winters. And so the forests have been weakened by these pests that in part have prospered as winters have warmed up, and that creates much more fuel for these fires when they do happen in the summer.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, what about the situation where Harvey actually was stalled over Texas with 50 inches of rain causing all kinds of disastrous flooding?
3: Yeah, so that's an important thing to understand about Harvey. A substantial part of why we saw that record flooding, more than four feet in some parts of Houston, was because of the stalled nature of that weather system it just stayed in place. And when weather systems uh, stay in place, that's when you start to get extremes. You get extreme droughts when the same location is being baked by the sun day after day. You get extreme heat waves under those circumstances. You get extreme flooding when storms stay parked over the same place day after day. And this is where you know, the connections become a little bit more tenuous. There is an emerging body of research, and we've published on this ourselves, That suggests that as we warm the planet, and in particular, the Arctic warms even faster because as the ice melts the Earth's surface, you know, the Arctic Ocean can absorb more of the incoming sunlight when there isn't ice on top of it, and so it warms even faster. And this, in part, leads to what's known as Arctic amplification, where warming is even greater as you go north towards the Arctic. And as you change that pattern of how temperatures vary from the tropics to the polar regions it turns out that that pattern of variation is actually what controls the jet stream. The jet stream owes its existence to changes in temperature with latitude and changes in temperature with height in the atmosphere and so as you start to change those temperature patterns you can change the jet stream and as you weaken the contrast between the equator and pole, which is what happens when you warm the poles a lot more than the tropics. You decrease the contrast. You decrease the difference in temperature between the warm tropics and the cold polar region. And as you reduce that contrast, that tends to weaken the jet stream. What's also true is that climate change tends to shift the jet stream poleward. So, for example, with Harvey, we had this very large, blocking high pressure um, this ridge over the southern United States. The jet stream had been pushed way up to the north. That is consistent with, with what climate model projections say that we're going to tend to see the jet stream in the summer pushed further north. And there weren't these troughs associated with the jet stream there to come through and sort of take Harvey away and take it out, take it uh, east uh, toward the Atlantic Ocean. So, you know, we can't with certainty that those mechanisms were responsible for the specific behavior of Harvey. But we can say that climate change is creating conditions in terms of the behavior of the jet stream and the weakened nature of the jet stream and the poleward migration of the jet stream is favoring the sorts of conditions that we saw uh, with Harvey, where these systems can stay stalled. Uh, We saw that with Irene. Uh, back in 2011 was a a devastating hurricane that produced record flooding in Pennsylvania and up through New England. Uh, It was only a hurricane when it struck the New Jersey coast. But uh, sea surface temperatures off the coast, off the east coast, were very high, uh, unusually high at that time. That meant there was more moisture in the air and there was more moisture to turn into record flooding. So we see this theme repeating itself over and over
0: again. Mm -hmm. Now, one last question here. We can say that none of this is coincidence, and once and for all, I'd like you to actually speak to this. What is the role of human-induced climate change in all these events that we've been talking about? The things that you've been saying, it's not sort of just they happen spontaneously. There is a role of humanity in all this in terms of both it happening and in terms of the worsening of it all.
3: Yeah, absolutely. There are certain things that are ironclad. We don't even have to talk about them probabilistically. Statistically, we can just say sea level rise means that these storm surges are bigger. Full stop. That's a very direct causal connection. More moisture in the atmosphere, greater intensity because of warmer sea surface temperatures. Those are statistical relationships. On average, we expect storms to be stronger and for there to be more moisture because ocean temperatures are warmer. In any one case, of course, the vagaries of weather come into play. And you know just how any one weather event evolves depends on a number of factors, some of which are random. But way to think about this once again is like dice and we're loading the dice so that these sixes are coming up much more often than they should and you know those sixes can take the form of unprecedented superstorms, uh, unprecedented droughts floods heat waves these things are happening significantly more often than we would expect in the absence of our warming of the planet and a change in climate that we are causing and, you know, in the same sense that the tobacco industry was found guilty of hiding health impacts of their product, their product was killing people. And we can't prove that any one person who smoked cigarettes for 20 years and died of lung cancer, we can't prove that they wouldn't have died of lung cancer, anyways. That's possible. But we can step back and, and look at the fact that 10 times as many people died as should have, um, that smoking cigarettes increased the likelihood of you getting lung cancer by a factor of more than 10. We say that smoking cigarettes causes lung cancer. We're comfortable saying that, even though it's a statistical linkage. We should be equally comfortable in saying that warming the planet with greenhouse gases leads to more destructive storms, worse droughts, worse floods, and that's exactly what we're seeing.
0: All right, Michael Mann, thank you very much for joining us today.
3: Uh, Thank you. Always a pleasure.
0: Sure. That was Michael Mann. And as we said, Michael Mann is a distinguished professor of atmospheric science at Penn State and the director of Penn State Earth System Science Center. And he joined us to talk about the role of climate change in extreme weather events like all the hurricanes that we've just been having. And that brings us to the end of yet another show. I want to thank my assistant producer, Henry Carson, my production assistant, Jeff Pryor, and each and every one of you for tuning in. If you want to share your thoughts and ideas about the show, or if you want to volunteer to be part of the show, Write to me at mslate at the michaelslateshow.com Once again that's mslate at the michaelslateshow.com show
3: dot Oh ball of fire in the summer sky your
1: healing light. Your parade